0: Hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Sketchfest. Howdy ho. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Chelsea.
1: I am also Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird coincidence. Oh my god. No. I'm a Pisces. Are you?
0: No, I'm an Aquarius. No. Um Aquarian. so the worst thing in the world. So yep. um anyway. Hello, welcome back to another episode. I am the CEO and owner um, and sole proprietor of this establishment. So,
1: And I am the magistrate of beef. If you have any beef, you can <laughs> send it to my personal Instagram at Um <laughs> I if,
0: like that. That's a good one. If, <laughs> That's good. Uh,
1: all other inquiries can be sent to uh, SketchUspodcast at gmail.com, especially the legal ones. Because...
0: I'll just forward them to I'm, Mark.
1: I'm just along for the ride. Who's Mark? My lawyer. We should have him on the podcast sometime.
0: Dude, he's so cool. He keeps bees and like he's just cool. He's just a cool, dude. There was one time where we were in a court for a long time and he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, like this is taking forever. I've got places to be." And I'm like, "Mark, where are you going?" He's like, "It's fucking fat Tuesday. I got shit to do. I got <laughs> beer to drink." And I'm like, "Okay, you know what? Mood." let's Say get this less. case over <laughs> and of course it was uh delayed for a couple right. months but of course <clears throat> anyways so today we're gonna talk about a little spooky topic
1: let's hear it okay what, what, what is this topic i so. know absolutely nothing about yes yeah, so. whatever you're about to talk about talk about
0: in the headquarters, which is our group chat for Sketchfest, I was telling them about what I was doing, and I told them to not look it up. So I'm glad you finally fucking listened for once.
1: Um, I listen every Uncharacteristic time. characteristic for you. Except for when you tell me time and place.
0: So, today we're going to talk about the Dyatlov Pass.
1: What is that? It sounds Slavic.
0: So, Dyatlov, uh, Dyatlov Pass is a, it's like a Russian thing. Might be Ukrainian. We'll get to it in a second, because... I'm just going to tell you guys now that a lot of these names I'm going to butcher. A lot of these places, I'm going to butcher them. But I'm going to try, and that's all y'all can hope for. Um, And I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm just delivering a story, okay? And that's all that matters.
1: You heard it right here from the horse. Horse's mouth.
0: Y'all keep talking about my damn teeth like they aren't straight.
1: I wasn't talking about your teeth.
0: The size of them?
1: No. But now that you've mentioned that, I guess I should.
0: I'm well aware that my teeth are huge.
1: See, that's not something I really, like, registered. I just considered you a horse.
0: Coming from the horse's mouth. You're built like a fucking, what are them, um, what are them big ones called? Giraffe. No.
1: Stallion. No, are it'll we, come to me eventually. We're talking about horses? Uh-huh. Stallions are the largest breed of horse.
0: No, there's the um the ones. Fucking shit. It has a it has a name. What's it called? Big horse name. Um <laughs> 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 uh, Clydesdale. To Clydesdale. Um anyway. <clears throat> so, anyways, we're gonna talk about Diat Love Pass. We are going to talk about what it is, where it happened who was involved, updates, theories, and then I'm going to throw in some movies and documentaries as well. But first, I'm going to take a quick break and shut these windows because I just heard all of that. So one sec. Okay. Anyway, all right. So we're going to talk about what Diot Love Pass is, where it happened, who was involved, updates, theories, and then I'm going to throw in movies and documentaries um, because some of the theories are weird, and I want to hear your take on it because there are so many. So it's interesting. But let's begin. All right. We? Let's begin. <laughs> All right. So first, let's set the scene. Okay. So the year is 1959. A group was formed for a skiing expedition that would move across the northern Urals in Sverdlovsk.
1: Where the fuck is that?
0: Look. <laughs> um, Sverdlov- uh, Sverd- Sverdlovsk Oblast uh in the soviet union
1: i thought you could speak russian like
0: no i oh, no, know no, there's how a to... little spit behind it Sverlok. there you go oh blast <laughs> <laughs> i don't know so um from what i've gathered from the mm-hmm. story these urals are mountain ranges but it's a very interesting story so according to documents found in tents following this event it was suggested that the expedition was named for the 21st Congress of the Commitment Party of the Soviet Union and was possibly dispatched by the local Komsomol organization. I don't know what Komsomol is, but... You just
1: keep I, doing your thing and I will find it
0: perfect. out. Perfect. Um, so, oh, here we go. I have it. So, shut up. It was the next line. Ah. The Komsomol was a political youth organization in the Soviet Union. So... Okay. The leader, uh, his name was Igor Dyatlov, and he was a 23 year old radio engineer uh, student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is now called the Ural Federal University. So he's a smart guy. He was talented.
1: Smart pants.
0: Smart pants. So Igor assembled a group of nine others for this trip, most of them who were fellow students and peers at the institute that he went to. The initial group consisted of eight men and two women, but one member later turned back due to health issues. When we talk about these health issues, it just ties it all back. I feel like all of our episodes tie back to one another in such a weird way, but I digress. So anyways. I digress. I digress. The group was made up by uh, 23-year-old Igor Dyatlov, 21-year-old Yuri Doroshenko, 20-year-old Ludomila Dabinina or Dabinina. I don't know how to say that one. Um, 23-year-old Georgie or Yuri uh, Khrushchenko. Don't know. 24-year-old Alexander Kolovatov. Uh, don't know. I am painfully white. <laughs> uh, well, painfully American. <laughs> there you go. Against my own will, but I digress. Um, We've got 22-year-old Zenaida Komogorova. We've got 23-year-old Rustam Slobodin. Rustam? Rustam Slobodin. What a name. What a guy. 23-year-old Nikolai Thibodeau. (laughs) Anyways, um, if you guys are hearing any background noise, I have neighbors moving in. But anyway. So 23 year old Nikolai Thibodeau Brignoles? Brignoles? Something like that along those lines. We had 38-year-old Semyon Zolotaryov, Zolotarov. I don't know. Anyway, 21-year-old Yuri Yudin. So throughout the story, you're gonna realize that there's a lot of Yuri's involved. Okay. Like that has to be like a very popular name out yonder. Because there's a lot of URIs in the story. Um, so anyway, moving forward. At this time, each member of the group were experienced grade two hikers with um, a ski tour experience. And upon their return from this Ural trip that they were planning, they would all receive their grade three certifications. At the time, grade three was the highest certification that was available in the Soviet Union. This required candidates to traverse 300 kilometers. The group designed their route that would take them to reach the far northern regions of the Sverdlovsk Oblast and the upper streams of the Lasva River. There's a lot of interesting names in here. And
1: for the record, 300 kilometers is 186 miles.
0: Period. So um, they were trying to reach the upper streams of the Lasva River. Their route was approved by the Sverdlovsk City Route Commissioner. The goal of the expedition was to reach uh, Otorten, 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 I don't know. Otorten. Anyway, so Otorten, which is a mountain that was 10 kilometers away or 6.2 miles. um, This was north of the site where they um, or where the event actually ended up taking place. This route uh, was estimated as a category three. And it was undertaken in February, which is the most difficult time to traverse because I feel like it's kind of similar to like here in Ohio where like February's are always just like miserable. Right. And that's why you were born in February.
1: Absolutely. hundred percent. I'm a walking nightmare.
0: Mm-hmm. Your mom was like, you know what? Let's make this worse for everybody. <laughs> let's make it worse.
1: And then you said, let's put them on a podcast.
0: Damn it, Sharon. Damn.
1: Too- wow. You remember your name. I'm proud of you.
0: Thank you. I remember stuff deal as you're coming to realize i remember things Hmm. so i'm not as stupid as i come off i just can't read sometimes anyway so on january 23rd of 1959 the diatlov group was issued their route um and it was in a book so their their route was placed on a book for them for easy viewing um this listed their course as following the number five trail. So there's a bunch of different trails, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, the Dyatlov group left Sverdlovsk City, which is today recognized as Yekantenberg. Oh. Ye- Ye- it's There's a lot of letters. Lots of them. Um, I have realized They that really tried
1: to put all the, le- all the weird letters in the alphabet. Uh-huh.
0: They were like, let's make this, like, let's just make one word fucking hard let's make them all hard all consonants no vowels yeah like so Ye i don't know there's so many <sighs> people that speak russian i fear them not because oh, like they're russian but because how can you speak that language so fluently
1: right let alone read it
0: good lord it's
1: a like lot of the math this... equation
0: dude all of this uh research that i was looking through just trying to like read like it would say like their names like spelled out mm-hmm. But then it had, like, their actual, like, Russian names. And I'm like, it makes no sense. Like, I want to know <laughs> Russian so bad. But, like, I don't know what it is about my brain. My brain just thinks, like, it looks like an equation. Yep. Um, And that's the same with, like, Asian cultures. Yes. Where it's, like, like, Mandarin and shit. Yep. What? I want to know it so bad. And I'm so nosy. I want to know what people are talking about. Even if it's, like, a receipt for, like... They bought a fucking monster in Mm -hmm. Japan. I want to know about it. But I can't read it. And I hate that for me.
1: If only I could read.
0: If only I could read. And if only I can read in a different language. What if I spoke English, but I can read other things? That'd be sick. Anyway. So let's get into the expedition itself. Right? So the group arrived by train at uh, Ivdol, which is a town in the center of the northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast. Um... And this was early in the morning on January 25th of 1959. They then took a truck to this place called Vijay. I'm pretty sure that's how you say that one. So Vijay. Uh, while they were spending the night in Vijay, the group bought loaves of bread to eat and to keep their energies up for the following day's hike. Uh, so the day of January 27th. Um, so they began their journey toward O'Torton. Um The following day, January 28th, Yuri Yudin, who had several health problems, including rheumatism, so same, uh, and congenital heart defect, uh, he decided that he was going to turn around due to the knee and joint pain that he had been experiencing. Uh, It was making it really uncomfortable for him, and he was unable to continue this hike, uh, but the remaining hikers continued. So I just, I feel like... After all of this happened, I feel like Yuri was probably like, damn.
1: Probably ain't too good.
0: Rough. It's like, I could have been there.
1: Right. Yeah, uh, mm. out.
0: Ooh. But um, diaries and cameras that were found at their final campsite helped make it possible to track the group's movement up to the day of the incident. So January 31st, they arrived at the edge of a highland area to begin their climb. Uh, And this was in a wooded valley. So they kept a surplus of food and equipment that would be used on their returning journey. So they kind of stocked up on stuff, including food and equipment. Right. So that their journey back would be comfortable. Right. Um, So fast forward to the following day, the journey officially begins. So the plan was to make it to the other side of the pass where they would set up their camp for the following night. Unfortunately, weather began to worsen and unfavorable climate conditions uh, caused them to stray off of their course, unfortunately. So they were straight off course and they deviated west towards the top of colette i That's probably the best that that's going to be pronounced. That's fair. colette so when So when they realized that they had made this mistake... They decided to set up camp right there on the slope of the mountain rather than to travel 1.5 kilometers or 0.93 miles um, downhill to avoid... Or no, if they went downhill, they would be in a wooded area, so they would have more protection, right? Um, so this would have provided them much-needed shelter from the elements, um, but they decided not to do that because... They suspected that Dyatlov did not want to lose their altitude that they have already gained, um, or that he had decided to practice camping uh, camping on the mountain slope, um, because camping and camping on a mountain slope are two different right. fucking ball games, right? Have you ever seen those people that like set up a uh, camp on the side of like cliffs and shit? What like
1: hanging off and shit? Yeah, I'm like, yeah,
0: I'm like, what if oh my god.
1: You know, get put a little too much pep in your in your roll in the middle of the night, and then boop,
0: dude. You have I, one of those
1: dreams that you're falling, but you're
0: actually falling, and <laughs> yeet. dude, that's so scary. Cause like I flop around at night a lot, um. So I would for sure be down the mountain. But anyway, so they um ended up kind of assuming that they didn't do that because they didn't want to lose altitude. Because they had already made a little bit of progress and going backwards is like, it's pretty detrimental. So I get it, but also I don't think that that is, I don't think that that's one of my top theories about like what happened. But anyways, I think they just wanted to traverse. But before this expedition even like came to fruition, Diatlov had agreed that he was going to send a telegram to their sports club that they were a part of. Um, as soon as they kind of returned to Vijay. So as soon as they got back, they were going to be like, hey, we're here, we're good, we're safe. Um, They had expected that this telegram would be received by no later than February 12th, but Dyatlov had expected that it might be a little bit longer. Um, And when the 12th passed, there were no telegrams, They didn't really take any sort of, like, immediate action. They were like, all right, you know what? Weather might be rough up there, so we're going to give them a couple days of, like, grace period. Um, And they had kind of expected that there would be some delays. But um, on February 20th, so this is eight days after the, like, expected time that the telegram would come through. February 20th, the group's families finally decided that... uh, They were going to demand a rescue operation. So the head of the institute sent the first rescue group that consisted of volunteer students and teachers. And later, the army and police forces actually became involved. So they had planes and helicopters. um, And yeah, they were ordered to kind of join this operation to find them from above. Because if anything happened on the mountain slope, the worst thing that you can do is be on foot. So,
1: right. So they, yeah,
0: they commissioned all these people to get up in their planes and helicopters and start looking. But I think that's cool that their families kind of like demanded like, hey, you need to do something about it. So on February 26th, so six days after the family was like, hey, let's do this. On February 26th, the searchers found the group's badly damaged tent on Colette Sakal. This discovery truly baffled the team as they said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow but it was empty and all of the group's belongings and shoes were left behind so like there was nobody in it but all of their shoes and equipment and shit had been left inside and weird if all of their equipment is still inside their shoes they are in danger right? because it's snowing you don't go outside with no shoes on when it's snowing. It wouldn't
1: be advised, I would say.
0: Well, especially if you're on a hike. Yeah. Yeah. On a mountaintop. No matter how. That's
1: like stepping on a Lego.
0: No matter how but good worse. you are at being a hiker or if you're grade two or whatever the fuck. You don't go outside with no shoes on. That's like rule number one in like doing any sort of traversing in harsh weather is you stay warm. Right. You stay warm and you stay fed.
1: And dry if you can, so your feet don't rot.
0: Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that. So, investigators said that the tent had been cut open from the inside, which was alarming. Because if something were to attack the tent, it would be outside wounds. But it was cut from the inside out. So, this is like first... Well, no, this would be like the second red flag. Obviously, first finding the tent was rough right but now finding that it was cut from the inside out what happened so they found that the tent had been cut from the outside or from the inside out and nine sets of footprints left by people only wearing socks a single shoe or even barefoot could be plainly followed leading down to the edge of nearby woods on the opposite side of the pass so there were nine hikers right And there's nine visible footsteps or like paths down to the end of the mountain or the edge of the mountain.
1: That's weird.
0: Yeah. So there was no evidence that anything walked up to the tent. There was evidence that something went away from the tent. Okay. So after 500 meters or 1600 feet, these tracks were covered with snow. So they finally became like they came to a halt. Right. Uh, at the forest's edge, under a Siberian, Siberian pine tree, the remains of a fire were visible. So they had made a fire and it was still going and it was still visible. So this is also where the first two bodies were discovered. Uh, these bodies were that of 23-year-old uh, krivenchenko and 21-year-old Doronshensko. They were shoeless and dressed in only underwear. Hmm
1: bad, bad time to, uh, bad time.
0: Yeah. This is a bad time to be naked, but fuck it. We ball, right? I guess so. All right. So branches of the Siberian pine tree, uh, were broken up to five meters high, which led experts to believe that they had tried to climb the tree to look for something so that they can get height. So
1: five meters, that's what, 15 feet? Yeah. Three feet. Well, roughly.
0: Yeah. Around 15 feet. So 15 feet up, tree branches were broken. So it led them to believe that they had tried to gain height mm-hmm. to see something. So what were they trying to see? So between the tree and the campsite, three more bodies were found. These bodies were that of Dyatlov, who was 23. Uh, we had 22-year-old Kol- Kolmogorova and 23-year-old Slobodin. They were all deceased in poses that suggested that they were attempting to return to camp. So they all died, looking as though they were trying to traverse back to the tent
1: that they cut out of.
0: Mm-hmm. Already off to a weird Yeah, this start, is all right? real weird. I yeah. mean, and it only gets weirder.
1: I wonder if there was any toxicology reports. Well, we'll see.
0: We'll see. We'll see where that's at. I don't think it says anything about toxicology, but everything else is going to be very strange to you. So at this point, they have found five of the travelers, which means that there's four missing. Mm -hmm. Where are they at, though?
1: If They had that Boost Mobile chirp.
0: (laughs) Shut up. So since there's four more missing, the search for them continued. But people are starting to think, hmm. Had they made it to safety or what?
1: Right. Well. Because all nine sets were going down. Yeah. The, yeah.
0: So did at least four of them make it? Because that'd mm-hmm. be a great ending. I right. mean, you know, tragic, but still it'd be great. Right. To have at least some survivors to tell the story of what happened. Right. But um, anyway, continuing the search for more than two additional months. Uh, on May 4th, they finally found the remaining travelers. They were discovered under four meters, which is 13 feet of snow, in a ravine 75 meters or 246 feet further into the woods from the pine tree. So they made it further, but then they got but, covered under.
1: But not much further.
0: Not much further. I mean, 246 feet. Right. But then they were piled on top, Uh, well, piled underneath 13 feet of snow. Yeah. Which sucks. But here's where things start to get weird.
1: Now they start to get weird?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's already off to a rough start, but it I was going to say. Weird. This is where things start to take a very confusing turn. So three of the four that were found, um, they were better dressed than the others were. Mm-hmm. However, there were signs that their clothes have been removed by others in an attempt to survive the elements, right? So, as people started to die, I think, you know, whoever else was traveling was like, well, damn, they're dead. I'm cold. I need to try to survive, right? So, it was a survival technique and it was just bizarre because, uh, I mean, this was in an attempt to survive the elements, but... It was as their friends were dying. So it's like, it's weird, man. Yeah. Like, I get it, but it's like, oof. You know, that sucks. Um, So a legal quest had started immediately after the first five were found. Um, and a medical examination found no injuries that would have caused their deaths. So the five were determined that they had died of hypothermia. Okay. Which, okay.
1: Understandable. That fucking makes sense. Right.
0: Um. Slobodin, however, had a small kind of crack in his skull. He had a small crack in his skull, but they determined that that, even if it had happened while he, you know, was alive, because I don't know. I mean, they didn't disclose if it was perimortem or postmortem. Right. But um, they said that no matter what, it wouldn't have been a fatal injury. So okay. This crack in his skull was non-fatal.
1: So minor, like, a minor inconvenience. So like
0: go off, but also your skull is cracked. So an examination of the four bodies that were found in May, however, they ended up shifting that narrative about what actually happened like happened. So um, they shifted this narrative quite a bit. So this soon became much more sinister than just hypothermia. Three of the four bodies that were later discovered had undeniable fatal injuries. So, Thibodeau Brignoles had major skull damage. Uh, Devininha and Zolotarov had major chest fractures. These were all things that could have been fatal. Right. Um, again, a lot of this, and like, I didn't read like autopsy reports or anything for this, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't say whether it was you know, what caused their death or if it happened after they were dead. So the force that was needed to cause this damage would have been extremely high. It's compared to be um, that of a car crash. So the same damage that you would receive in a car crash. Um, But obviously, this was not possible on the side of a mountain.
1: No, I would say it wasn't.
0: So already, this is very confusing to everybody. But these uh, these remains, however, had no external damage that could be associated with the bone fractures. So it was as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure. So they had these chest fractures and skull damage, but no external damage.
1: Like what? They just were in like a fucking chamber and just got...
0: Like squished? Yeah. Yeah, so that's where like... This is starting to become like very confusing for everybody. Right. Because how is it that your chest is fractured, your skull is fractured, but there's literally no sign externally that anything even happened to you?
1: Well, and I'm sure they're not even at an altitude where that could even be considered.
0: Yeah. Mm-mm. So that's where it, it, it just continues to get weird. So the four bodies that were found on May 4th at the bottom of the creek, um, they were in a stream of water. And they had soft tissue damage to their heads and faces. Debanina was missing her tongue, her oh. eyes, part of her lips. And um, this was alongside some facial tissue. And she was also missing a fragment of her skull. So very weird. Very yeah, weird this weirdly specific mm-hmm. things, too. Uh, Zolotarov's eyeballs were missing. And Alexander Kolvatov was missing his eyebrows. Like, what? Swiper, no swiping.
1: No, what are what do you doing? My what, fucking eyebrows.
0: <laughs> so,
1: I- eyebrows out of anything.
0: Out of everything, the eyebrows. Hmm. I can see, like, if there was a creature in the mountains that is trying to hunt, maybe taking, you know, eyes or tongue. But why would a creature take your eyebrows?
1: Maybe they're just on fleek.
0: I mean, maybe. Maybe. The medical examiner determined that these damages were caused post-mortem due to their location in which they were found. Shortly after the travelers were all found, it was theorized that um, the Mansai people, which are an indigenous group of reindeer herders, could have been responsible. So if the group had been approaching their land um i mean they would have tried to defend it right but this was quickly kind of ruled out as there was no evidence of struggle or defense so the man side Hmm. people theory was immediately man side people man side okay so we're gonna circle back and um we're gonna talk about some temperature real quick so the temperatures were extremely low So, they were about negative 25 to 30
1: degrees Celsius. Oh, Celsius. Um, But still, that's cold as shit.
0: Yeah, which would be about negative 13 or negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: But many of the travelers were uh, only partially dressed. So, like we had mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, some were only wearing like one shoe, only socks. Some were just found wearing pieces of others' clothing after their passing. Right. Underwear. So, it's like, hmm, why is that? In my personal belief, I think that they were experiencing something called paradoxical undressing. Paradoxical undressing is a phenomenon that's found in uh, people with hypothermia. So hypothermia cases. When the body is subjected to extreme temperatures, they can begin to hallucinate and may even feel as though they're overheating. Okay. So this is kind of like how you feel like just us in Ohio. Right. When we're outside like shoveling in the Ohio like snow. Your face will feel hot or something. That's only Ohio weather. So when it's like negative 20s.
1: I can only imagine. Yeah. Because it's
0: like it's that frostbite feeling where it's like you you feel hot as fuck. I'll be shoveling snow and I'm like sweating knowing damn well it's cold as fuck. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So to this is just like a little Mm -hmm. science side quest real quick. But um, to shut down the loss of heat from the extremities. The body is going to induce vasoconstriction, which is the narrowing of blood vessels by small muscles in their walls. When blood vessels constrict, blood flow is slowed or completely blocked. This is why, um, like most of the hypothermia cases, result in some sort of like amputation. So your brain is programmed to protect its core, which means that your arms, legs, uh, or extremities like toes, hands, all that. Those are very low priority. So your body's your body's designed to keep the core warm. Um, so you know since your arms and your feet are very far right. away from your your core, those are going to be the first things to go. Right. So that's why a lot of people lose like arms or legs to like frostbite and shit like that. Um, because if it hits the core, if your core cools down, you're fucked. That's it. That's it. Out. You're out. Audi 5000. So over a long period of time, um, your muscles that are needed to kind of do that vasoconstriction, they end up failing. So over a long period of time, it's going to fail. So it's going to constrict. It's going to constrict for as long as it can. But as soon as it fails, it's going to then send a rush of that warm blood back to those cold extremities. Um, and this is going to result in like a hot flash. Right. So you're going to have hot flash like symptoms. So if this happens, you know, your arms are say I'm just using arms as an example. Say your fingers start to die because of like frostbite or whatever. If that vasoconstriction fails. It's going to send hot blood back to this very cold dying part of your body and you're going to have hot flashes. If that happens, your brain is programmed to undress. So if you're hot, you undress. Right. It's a it's a mind game mm-hmm. going on. So your mind is tricking you into believe that you're overheating when you're in sub zero temperatures. So, so that's this paradoxical undressing theory, okay. which I believe.
1: That makes I mean that makes sense.
0: I believe this one fullheartedly. But there's a lot of other theories too that are like very interesting. Mm-hmm. But that one makes the most sense to me as to why they were undressing that theory makes the most sense to me um there is one more theory that i feel like could play into it but i want your uh okay i want your input when we get there so back to the travelers right uh some reporters actually began telling the media that six of the nine travelers had died from hypothermia while the other three had died of fatal injuries now these these three that had the fatal injuries we don't know if that's what caused them to die or not because right. technically they were all experiencing you know hypothermia just those three had fatal injuries but we don't know the details of that so the media always fucking puts their nose where it doesn't belong yet um but anyways there were no signs of any other people that were on that kolat um like mountain range or whatever So the tent had been ripped from the inside out. Uh, They had actually said that um, that the travelers had died about six to eight hours after their last meal. Reporters ended up saying as well that uh, all evidence suggested that the group had been left or had left the campsite on their own accord, which I believe as well. Mm -hmm. Some levels of radiation were found on one of the victims clothing. So these are all things, the things that I just listed, those were all reported by the media. media, But a lot of these things hadn't even been, like, disclosed yet. Right. So very strange. But what gets me is that radiation thing. Yeah. So radiation poisoning is something that immediately came to my mind. Um, So I used to study nuclear science. So I wanted to work in a, you know, um, wanted to work in like a nuclear power like nuclear power plant. plant. Yeah. So that was like my goal, but I ended up going a different route, which was weird, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, so radiation poisoning comes to my mind first from somebody that was studying nuclear science, but radiation can cause a multitude of problems. Um, and it can even cause brain damage, but this brain damage is spicy. So, the brain damage that is caused by radioactive or, like, radiation poisoning, um, it happens at a molecular level that can trigger schizophrenia or psychosis. Hmm. So, radiation poisoning can manifest in about five to six hours after exposure, and death can occur within three days with absolutely no chance of recovery. Um, Now, I'm going to say that I... Don't believe that radiation poisoning had anything to do with it, but it is an interesting kind of thing to bring up. Right. Because if only one of them had some sort of radiation present, why did the rest of them not?
1: Yeah, I was actually going to ask. I wasn't sure if that was something where, I don't know, unless they had some sort of physical source of radiation on them
0: you know yeah or like you know if they were ill or something and were retrieving or receiving some sort of like treatment with Mm -hmm. radiation i can see that um but if the media was gonna state that they had radiation on them or whatever um you would think that they would kind of follow up with like oh he actually was receiving radiation treatments or something you know so it was just a very one-off thing one of nine had radioactive um traces so no one else did no one else Hmm. no one else um but anyways this inquest uh officially kind of ceased in may of 1959 due to the lack of guilty parties um all of the files were then sent to a like secret archive so once they found all of the bodies all nine of them in may 1959 they were kind of like well Nothing, you know, we don't have anything. We have nothing to go off of, so...
1: Right, what do we just... You know, we thought it it
0: could have been those man-side people, but that was quickly ruled out. Um, They have these fatal injuries, but we don't know why. And that's that. So, they sent it to a secret archive. But, on April 12th of 2018, Zolotarev's, or Zolotarev's remains... Were exhumed on an intuitive leap by journalists. Uh, these were journalists of a newspaper called Cosmo Cosmoskaya uh, something. Uh, Cosmoskaya? Co-
1: I don't know. So what is that like?
0: It was a newspaper. So I don't know how to say that word. But... Slav-
1: Slavic cosmopolitan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Maybe. I think it would be kind of more like the plane dealer. Oh, well, yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know how to say that word. Come, comes Anyway, it's a newspaper, but they had the body of Zolotrov exhumed because they had an intuitive leap, right? But here's here's this intuitive leap. New findings in the exhumation revealed that the character of the injuries resembled someone who was knocked down by a car, and the DNA analysis did not match any living family. It turned out that Zolotarev's name was not listed as being buried at the cemetery. After facial reconstruction from the exhumed skull, the likeliness of the skull was compared to post-war photos of Zolotarev, where it was a likely match. All of this to say that the journalist intuition uh, or intuitive, intuitive feelings were wrong, <laughs> and they believed that another person was hiding under Zolotarev's name after World War II. So basically they had this man exhumed because they thought that it wasn't him. Right. So they were like, we got to exhume him because if not, he's hiding and we need to know what happened. And they are fucking wrong. They were wrong. So that's media for you.
1: Classic. What do you <laughs> mean? They're always right. It's
0: a classic media move. But anyway, so February 2019, the case was opened again, although only three explanations were considered, one being an avalanche, uh, two being a slab avalanche, and three being a hurricane. So the idea of crime was dismissed entirely. Right. So let's talk about the theory, shall we? Let's hear them. So the most rational theory is that the entire situation was due to an avalanche, or the imminent danger of one. So they say that perhaps the avalanche had blocked them in their tent, which would explain why they had to cut from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps that the threat of an oncoming, uh, oncoming, I guess, slab or whatever would drive the group from their tent quickly to find safety. Uh, unfortunately, no signs pointed towards avalanche activity. Right. So I can see if there was the threat of like imminent danger, like there's an avalanche coming, we have to run as fast as we can. Right. That's that would explain why they took off without shoes or socks or whatever the fuck. Just in a hurry. Just in a hurry to save your life. Um, but I don't know.
1: And climbing up the tree and
0: Yeah, right? So there is another theory, which is called catabatic wind, which I had never heard of until now.
1: Let's hear it. What's it what's catabatic wind?
0: So catabatic wind Uh, This is a drainage wind, which is a wind that can carry high density air from higher elevation down a slope uh, under the force of gravity. Okay. So it basically like if you think about like here's here's two mountains, right? We got our mountain peaks up here. Catabetic wind will go like from a higher altitude of the top of the mountain down and then sweep back up. Okay. So it's like a very forceful wind. Right. Um. So, these winds are somewhat rare, but they can be incredibly violent. So, if this were responsible for the event, it would have made it impossible to remain inside of that tent. Um, And they would have had no choice but to take off. So, uh, maybe that explains why they went to the tree line. But... Because
1: trees would break up the wind.
0: The confusing part about that however though is that if this catastrophic wind was responsible their tent would have disappeared right uh an interesting uh one that i don't know this one is like this one's really interesting to me um i don't know if i believe it but maybe but the next theory involved is infrasound
1: i don't even know what that is
0: i'm gonna tell you so, there's a hypothesis that was popularized by a 2013 book called Dead Mountain by Donnie Eicher. Um, and it stated the belief that wind going around Kolatsakal created a Carman Vortex Street. Um, but basically, Karaman Vortex Street uh, is a repeating pattern of swirling vortices that is caused by a process known as vortex uh, shedding. Very strange, right? But this is responsible for unsteady separation of flow of a f- uh, fluid around like blunt objects. Right. Um. So this phenomenon is responsible for singing of suspended telephone or power lines. And it is also responsible for vibration of like antennae. So like antennas.
1: Right. Hmm.
0: So. Uh, if this is the case, this is going to produce infrasound, which is capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. So this is a possible explanation for the hikers. Um, I mean, it could have panicked them. They could have fled the tent for safety. And when they reached the bottom of the slope, they would have been out of you know that sound path right. to where they can regain their composure. But at that point, in a panic, in these weathers undressed, you know, or not dressed properly, um, they would have been unable to return to their shelter due to the darkness and all of those elements. So, they were kind of fucked at that point, if this is the case. Also, it is believed that uh, the traumatic injuries that were, you know, found in those three victims could have been due to stumbling down the slope and falling onto rock beds. If it was a panic situation, so whether it be like if we go back to that radioactive thing where, you know, that can induce schizophrenia or like psychosis right. or perhaps if it is this like infrasound that also creates panic. If it was a panic situation, I mean, no matter what, it seems to me like there was some sort of panic involved. So whether it be the infrasound. Absolutely. The catabetic winds, the threat of imminent danger from an avalanche like i don't know so no matter what i think they left that that tent in a panic because if you're cutting out the tent like from the inside out
1: not putting on shoes you're not clothed clearly they're experienced people
0: if you guys are experienced hikers what is going on what's going on so um we still have yet to find out what's going on there but that could be um You know, that could be an explanation on how they got those fatal injuries.
1: But those fatal injuries were, like you said, you said there are no, like, abrasions outside of the skin?
0: Yeah. So, it had to have been something pressure related. But if you fall onto a bed of rocks, I mean, depending on, like, if it's a slab. Right. straight, you know, I don't know. That's true. So, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there and there's literally nobody that can tell us the story. Hmm. You have to rely on, like, context clues and your own opinion. Right. But there's another theory. Let's hear it. There's the military test theory. So this one is interesting to me. I don't know if I believe that they're correlated, but it could be. But there's another theory that suggests that the group, um, you know, they could have ended up in a path of the Soviet parachute mine exercise. So... They could have been woken up by loud explosions, fled the tent in a panic, and they could have been unable to return, or they would have been unable to return to their tent. Um, There are documents that report that they were indeed testing parachute mines in that area. Um, And at that time, Dyatlov's... Wait, hold on. There's documents that report that they were indeed testing parachute mines in that area and during the time that the Dyatlov, you know, expedition was underway, mm-hmm. but parachute mines detonate while they are still in the air instead of, um, you know, when they reach the Earth's right. surface. So they are airborne and explode. So if that were to happen, yeah, I'd probably fucking I'd probably run out of the tent, too.
1: Well, and that could potentially cause like an avalanche and whatnot. or So
0: it's like, what really was the, the thing here? They all could have. They could have all hand.
1: happened at the same time for all. The-
0: I mean, if you think about it, because if there's the parachute mines, that goes off. That sets off an avalanche. Uh, The avalanche fucking sets off catabatic wind. The catabatic wind sets off in sound. Right. Like, it could, could have been have anything. It could have
1: just been the perfect storm. It
0: could have literally been the perfect storm, which is, what, like, so interesting. What gets interesting.
1: me is the, the, the body parts, miss, you know, the eyebrows, yeah. the mm-hmm. eyes.
0: Mm-hmm. Like I, said, I guess though, it depends if, if it that. was
1: like the eyes were removed or if they deteriorated. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they would deteriorate because of the climate.
1: Well, do- oh Yeah, that's true.
0: So it is too cold for them to just like for decomposition to set in. Right. Um, but I could definitely see like an animal being a part of that. But Absolutely. why would they take the eyebrows? Is that like a Russian thing?
1: Maybe Russian bears just like eyebrows. A little delicacy on the side.
0: (laughs) In Soviet Russia, bear eats your eyebrows. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, these parachute mines detonate while they're still in the air instead of on the earth's surface. Um, And they produce injuries that are similar to the injuries that the hikers had. So... It would cause heavy internal damage with little to no external damage. So this theory aligns with the reports of sightings of glowing orange orbs that were floating or falling in the sky. Because there are reports of like orbs in the sky.
1: Which could be the parachutes.
0: Could be the parachutes. But then that could also explain that like immense amount of pressure That could have cracked their skulls and their, you know, chest with little to no external damage. So it's interesting to think about, isn't it?
1: This is weird. This took place in, what, you said, Mm 1959? Yeah.
0: So this is a very interesting case. Um, And there's plenty of books and movies that were made about it, too. So if you guys listening are interested... There is the 1990 novel, which is called The Price of State Secrets uh, is Nine Lives. The Price of State Secrets is Nine Lives. So, The Nine Hikers, right? Right. There was also a 2012 novel called The City of Exiles, which was um, written by Alec Navalali. There is the Diatlov Pass Incident, a.k.a. Devil's Pass, which is a film that is directed by... Remy Harlan or Remy Harlan Uh, this was released on February 28th of 2013 we have Russia's Mystery Files episode 2 the Dyatlov Pass incident this was released November 28th of 2014 so that one that last one was on Nat Geo so if you want to watch it Uh, in 2014 a Discovery Channel special called the Russian Yeti the killer lives Uh, it displays the event in a way that suggests the involvement of the Yeti was possible.
1: I mean...
0: I mean, I don't know. It's interesting to think about.
1: Can't can't rule it out?
0: Can't rule it out. Obviously, we can't rule any of this shit out. Right. It's literally the perfect storm. Like, all of those things could have happened simultaneously. So, who knows? We'll never know. Um... Then there's the 2015 uh, Polish horror video game, which I think this is cool. Uh, but it's a Polish horror video game called Kolat. So this is inspired by the incident in which the player goes to Diatlov Pass in order to trace the steps of the last expedition. Uh, and it begins to uncover the true cause of the hiker's death. I think that would be cool as fuck to play.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to find it right now.
0: Yeah, if you can find it, play it and let me know. Um, in 2020, there was a Russian miniseries called Dead Mountain, the Diatlov Pass Incident. And it follows investigation of Oleg, which is a fictional KGB member um, who in 1959 sets out to uncover the truth of what happened. But most recent, I mean, it could be, there could be something else recently, but it hasn't been reported yet. But in 2021, uh, there was an American documentary film called An Unknown Compelling Force. And it centers around information and theories uh, kind of like surrounding the D'Altlof Pass incident. But it features interviews with journalists, friends, uh, and Uden himself, the one that turned back. So I think that's pretty interesting. So if you're interested in any of that, I would say definitely go check those out.
1: I'm down. How do you hear... spell uh, Kholat? Uh,
0: K H O L A T. But if you're interested in the story, um, I definitely recommend checking those out. I saw the Diatla or like the the Devil's Pass movie one time. I don't remember the specifics about it, but from what I remember, it was like a good psychological thriller. But I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, because I could be mistaken, I think that that movie or that whatever, uh, Devil's Pass, I think it kind of harbors more on the radioactive side.
1: Then, yeah.
0: Than the actual, like, oh, it could have been an avalanche or something. Um, But yeah, so I think that's super interesting. What do you think? What do you think happened?
1: I don't think it's radiation.
0: I don't either, honestly.
1: I guess it's so hard because you could definitely chalk up the internal damage that they took to, like, uh, an avalanche. Especially since some of them were 13 feet under. Um, I want to know what caused them to go downhill and cut out of their tent. That's the specific thing, at least for me.
0: Yeah, because just in, like, specifically... Cutting the tent from the inside out induces kind of like a feeling that there was panic involved. Like something was happening. Right. It wasn't just like Uh oh, we got hypothermia. No, it suggested like there was something. So what was it? Was it avalanche? Was it the actual parachute mines? Was it fucking catabatic winds?
1: And then they, they put the they had the fire going at the bottom. That's another thing that's weird to me. Cause if there was a panic that some sort of natural disaster was happening Mm -hmm. or natural phenomena what's the uh why is there a campfire going you know i mean i'm sure you get to a point where because even if you're cold i mean they weren't they weren't extremely far from the tent
0: about 250 feet or something yeah
1: from the from the tent so it's like all right so if you're cold or whatnot you could technically just walk back up at least grab a couple things
0: well that leads me to believe that something made it to where they weren't able to get back up so whether that be elevation because it didn't really kind of talk about the elevation Mm -hmm. so i don't know the specifics on that but um you know if you fall down a hill it's easy but it's really hard to get back up hills right so if your camping gear and all of your hiking gear is up at the top, it's going to be extremely challenging for you to get back. Plus how far were you down? How cold was it? And also, like we were talking about with the infrasound, if they left the tent in a panic because of the infrasound, like it said by the time they got to the bottom of the mountain, they would be without or they would be like out of that range. Right. Um to where they can like regain their composure, maybe they were like fuck, we have to start a fire. But um, what if there was, you know, that katabatic wind going on, but it was outside of their area, to where maybe they couldn't see the tent, maybe they I couldn't even see in front of them, hmm. and also I want to state that um, with the infrasound, you've been outside during like winter where the wind blows so fucking hard, and it's like right. Yep. It's kind of scary sometimes, but imagine it on the side of a fucking mountain.
1: Well, even side of the mountain through a valley, that's probably the windiest part that you could.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, gravity, the way that gravity works, if it goes down one side of that hill into the valley and up again. Right. It's going to fuck you up. It's going to be some... Mm. Like, if it was the infrasound, I feel like... That had to be very scary because the sound of wind sometimes is scary.
1: It's weird that you hear something where every theory sounds plausible.
0: Mm -hmm. That's why this case is so interesting to me. Because what happened?
1: Because I was looking it up and they still are talking about like even last year, like avalanche or slab. The slab avalanche got ruled out. Um,
0: Yeah, because there was no evidence that that had happened.
1: Or that that could happen even in that area.
0: But what also I'm interested in is like the theory of the hurricane because would it be hurricane type like winds?
1: Yeah, I was curious about that. Because I don't think there was water nearby. Right. Hmm.
0: So I don't know. I feel like it's very, there's a lot going on there. I have so many questions and nobody can answer them for me.
1: Hmm. Yeah, see, even here they said that they might have clues as of last year. They're still, like, even ruling out a regular avalanche because of the type of terrain it was, and that at the time of them searching for the bodies, there hadn't been an avalanche there. hmm
0: I don't know. Hmm. So, I don't know, man. Like it's That's why I wanted the toxicology
1: reports, because I was curious, like, somebody slipped something, because they wanted to do... You know what I mean? Right. You
0: wanted to have a good experience or a fun experience. Right. When... In reality, that could have been your death. That could have been your demise.
1: Well, it was for but, them.
0: I mean, yeah, no matter what, it was demise. But um, I just am so interested. Because, like, really, now that I'm thinking about it, it could have literally been every single one of those things. Because, so, like, if it was the, parachut- uh, the parachute mines set off an avalanche or, like, avalanche-type winds, then the catabatic mm-hmm. winds, and then the infrasound, and then, you know, like...
1: Because <sighs> plausible...
0: They posted a picture the, of the tent that they found.
1: The avalanche would make the most sense for the people who had the broken bones in their body.
0: Because mm-hmm. snow is heavy.
1: Right. especially 13 feet of snow. Like yeah. that's snow is heavy. pretty heavy.
0: Because like even when I try to be a fucking, um, you know, Girl boss ass bitch and I don't need a man and I try to fucking shovel my own driveway. I hate it. I'm weak. Hmm. So, Very interesting, huh?
1: Yeah, I'd never heard of this until now.
0: It's very interesting. But I love it because it's just so, like, there's so many things. But, like, who knows? I mean, they could have been scared out of the tent by literally anything, whether it be, like, I mean, there was obviously no tracks of, like, any sort of anything walking up on them. Like, no bear, no mountain lions, nothing like that. But even if it was just the wind or the parachute mines...
1: I'd also have to know how precise these, uh, you know, when they found, you know, they were missing like eyeballs and tongue. Like, how precise was that? Was it something where it could have just been an animal, or was it something that? Well,
0: felt you know, I feel like the ones more... that were missing the tongue and the eyes and stuff. I feel like it more than likely was animal activity because those four that had the most damage were the ones that made it furthest into the the woodland. Right. So by the time you get off the mountain and you get into the wood line or the tree lines, there's going to be more creatures out there. More places to hide. So I don't know. But it's just it's very interesting because like if they had ran out of the fucking tent in a panic, maybe I don't know, say there is those winds going on. They can't really see in front of them. They mm-hmm. don't know where the tent is. Um, you know, they're out trying to make a fire. Then maybe they start with the paradoxical undressing because they feel like they're burning up. So I don't know. Yeah. It's there's literally no mm. like finite answer to this and I think that's what drives me the most nuts. 60
1: some years later and we still can't. Right. Hmm.
0: It's shocking, but yeah, that's how I feel.
1: Well, there's did. How do you pronounce it?
0: Diatlov.
1: Diatlov.
0: Diatlov pass incident. So, if you have listened to today's episode, I want to know what your theory is. I want to know what you think, because all of the evidence and all of the theories are compelling in their in their own.
1: It's like that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other.
0: Dude, I literally <laughs> did that last night to the dude, that fucking uh, the Tinder dude that came mm-hmm. by. Uh, I got in his car and he was like, are you going to kill me right now? And I was like, are you going to kill me right now? And then we were like. <laughs> I was like, if I was going to kill you, I would have done it already. But yeehaw. Anyway, uh, if you're listening, you have already heard around, uh, you've already heard about this Tinder story that I had last night. Probably like, I don't know. Episode two ago. Episode two ago. I don't know in what order this is going to go. But if you haven't heard it yet, then yeehaw. There's a little prefix. But I digress. Um, I want to know what you guys think about this because I think it's very fascinating. I want to know what happened. Uh, I really want to know what happened. But what drives me nuts is knowing that I never will.
1: And I don't think anybody ever will.
0: I don't think anyone well and i think that's the worst i I, it's the fear of the unknown for me i mean obviously i'm not going up into the mountains and hiking but if i were i would want to know what the fuck to watch out for
1: uh parachute mines
0: heard i mean we live in america so i'm sure we would have to deal with like ieds and shit yeah
1: that's fair
0: america but you know yeah so i want to know what your guys' theories are um how you guys feel about this and let us know what you thought about today's episode um because it's a doozy it's very like thrilling it's like what r.i.p hey. r.i.p to the nine hikers um hopefully when i die i can meet you guys and you can tell me the real story
1: and then we'll and then, uh, I'll, then I'll, us will, mere mortals will never have an answer i
0: will haunt you and i'll make sure you know okay so cool i already planned on haunting you sorry really yeah i'm gonna haunt the fuck out of you <laughs> i'm going to be the worst experience of your life so. let's go you're welcome um so when i die and i start haunting you you have to make a really banger episode about it so
1: tight tight yeah.
0: tight. but anyways uh so that was it for today so if you want to be a part of Sketchfest, please write us in your sketchy stories obviously it doesn't have to be just like full sketch it could be ghost stories i don't give a fuck just make it interesting I want to hear it uh send it to sketchfestpodcast at gmail.com and if you want to remain anonymous please make that very well known in your subject line so um i would say like hey i want to be anonymous but here's my ghost story or whatever the fuck just make sure we know otherwise we're going off the assumption that you want us to tell your story and name drop you yep um also if you have any sort of like i don't know uh concerning email addresses or names Maybe even profile pictures. We might ro- we might roast you. I don't know. I Oh, most definitely. I can't speak until I'm there. But we want to read your episodes, so send them in. And then in the meantime, you can follow us on Spotify, please. We're trying to get our Spotify numbers up. Um, and we are actually doing a gift basket uh, raffle. So if you want to be a part of that, um, check our Facebook for the deets. But um follow us on Instagram, Sketchfest Podcast. Mm-hmm. And you can follow us on fucking YouTube, TikTok, I was say YouTube. all of that. And Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash sketchfest.
1: You want to see these toes?
0: If you want to see Joshua's toes, now's the time. Four dollars a month, babe.
1: For a pair of toes. Well, yep. set of toes.
0: Yep. And if you want to see uh Daniel get waxed, those videos will be on there as well. So, um, you're paying for quality content so much quality Quality content so keep that in mind and then uh aside from that you can follow me and josh on our socials i am trash underscore cat with two t's on instagram and tiktok and where the fuck are you
1: i am xblk garden x on instagram
0: period
1: remember i am the magistrate of beef so
0: magistrate of beef he is a you certified got beef let's go Yeah, he's a certified boxing bitch so if you have something to say y'all might have to duke it out but keep in mind we are going to monetize it so it will be on Patreon <laughs> Um, and then aside from that uh, if you want to support us uh, because you love us obviously you can donate to our buy me a coffee so you go to buymeacoffee.com sketchfest and you're able to give us some donations and if you want to do that obviously you're getting a forehead kiss Um, but we will shout you out and any money that we make on Buy me a coffee, it's going straight back into the podcast. So don't think it's for profit or nothing like that. We're trying to make this the best experience for ourselves and for you, because we want this to be like a, I don't know, a little family, a little close knit, fucked up family, nonetheless, but... That's what we're trying to do. So all of the proceeds go back into the podcast entirely. So we're trying we, to get on video.
1: I was going to say, yep, we're trying to do videos so we can do, I don't know, reels, TikTok, more mm-hmm. YouTube stuff. Yes. And so that you can, I don't know, it's a little more personalized.
0: Yeah, you get to see our faces. Um, and we look quite punchable, especially Josh. Yeah. So, But I digress. Um, and then Anton says hello and he'll be back soon. He went to see a man about a goat.
1: He will be back sooner than you know it.
0: Before you know it, there will be more fuckery. And I don't know if my heart will handle it.
1: Well, it's going to have to. Get a little heart rate monitor again.
0: I know. I just got rid of mine last night.
1: Just in time for Anton to be back.
0: Just in time for my blood pressure to rise again. (laughs) Um, All right. So, yeah, it's been swell. We love you. Or, I don't know, maybe we don't. I do. Josh is a hater. He's a certified hater. But that's his own beef that he's working on. So he's the magistrate of beef. So you know, he saves. said it himself. Jesus saves. Sure. Um anywho, we love you. We'll see you next week. And uh
1: Say sketchy. Stay Toodles. sketchy
0: or don't. Either works. Toodles. Bye.